Okay, we're in the final stretch. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines professionalism as the conduct, aims, or qualities that characterize or mark a profession or a professional person. And it defines a profession as a calling requiring specialized knowledge and often long and intensive academic preparation. These definitions imply that professionalism encompasses a number of different attributes, and together these attributes identify and define a professional. So what would these attributes be? Specialized knowledge, competency, honesty and integrity, accountability, self-regulation, image. The topic that will be covered in this session includes an overview of the Actuarial Society's guidance on professionalism and ethical behavior and a practical case study followed by a Q&A uh, Q session. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Neil Furry. Neil has been working as a consulting actuary in South Africa and Namibia over the last decade. He joined the Actuarial Society of South Africa in 2012 as a public, as a public policy actuary. In his role as public policy actuary, he is responsible for stakeholder engagement, media and PR, and various other technical committees. He also sits on the RMC. Please give Neil a warm welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Costa. Good. Thank you. I like having a mic in my hand, but I don't have a clicker. Is this a clicker? Yeah. Okay. Let's see if it works. Are you pressing the right button? Okay. Is it this one? Yes, okay. Okay, good. Right, though. Are you still awake? I see we've still got a lot of people in the room. I see you all excited and you're ready for the professionalism and ethical behavior session today. So you'll see there uh, Sandile and Niku, they're actually the authors of, the, of this presentation. I think last time that I spoke, Vim Els gave me a hospital pass. And uh, today it was Sandile and Nico. Uh, they usually do this uh, on behalf of the, the, the PMB. So today I'll also respond to Sandile and Nico if you've got any questions. Um, so they say if you've got, if you don't have something interesting to say, you should keep it brief. And if you do have something interesting to say, keep it brief. So I'll keep it brief. <laughs> so. Um, at the PMB, we've been having more and more discussions on professionalism, getting how do we actually get our, our members to engage in these type of discussions. And I think if you've, if you've read in the, in, the, in, the, in the press lately, there's been a, a lot of corporate scandals and, and uh, sensitive issues, and actually in one or two of them, there's actually that's also, also been involved. So I think um, you should see this as obviously it's a formalized session where we'll be discussing professionalism issues. And uh, please feel free to ask questions. As I say, there's no such thing as a silly question, just a silly person. So uh, please feel free to ask your questions. Um, but um, in small groups at the, at the office and so on, if there's something that you're not sure about, please talk to a colleague. Um, in recent times at the office, we've actually had fellows phoning in uh, just to, to get our opinions. If we're not sure, we take it to the, to the relevant committee. So please, if, you, if you're not sure how to handle a difficult situation, speak to your peers, speak to your colleagues, or reach out to us uh, at the office. So, um, Costa actually gave the intro. It was actually a nice long intro. I didn't write it. Thanks, Costa. You probably thought mine wasn't long enough. Um, 
So we'll just quickly look at, 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 at our professional documents and then we'll go into a, a, a nice case study. Uh, it's a video that was actually produced by the RFA. There's a second case study that we'll probably uh, not get to today. And um, then I'll open the floor for, for a few questions. So uh, who of you here, just by a show of hands, who of you have read the ASA Code of Conduct? Okay, seems like most of you. So, uh, well done. Um, so our code of conduct, actually, it's very intuitive, and it's also based on, on if you want to be a full member of the IA, your code of conduct actually needs to cover these three areas. So the first one is knowledge and expertise. So obviously that makes sense. If we're doing a job, we, we need the technical expertise to actually do that job. Then... Uh, and the second part covers uh, um, values and ethical behavior, and that's what we'll, the, the case study is about today. And then the final one um, is professional accountability. So if we, if we uh, misstep, then there needs to be some sort of uh, repercussions. Um, that question, can you put, that, put up that, that, that first question, please? So, uh, please vote on this. Do, do you think ethical behavior can be taught, or do you think it, it can't be taught? Okay, so most people think it can be taught, the others think it can only be caught. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. You can go back to the presentation. So... Um, Section 9 to 22 in the code actually covers ethical behavior. And I think it's 21 and 22 actually covers um, uh, how members actually interact with each other and, and the checks and balances uh, that's in place. Um, you can just go on to the next, on, uh, I go on to the next slide myself. Okay. So, um, but there's actually, there's a few tests that, that you can, even if you think it, it, it can't be taught, there's actually still a few tests that you can use. Um, and obviously, different people will, deci will um, decide on what test actually works well for them. So I'll just quickly, quickly go, for the, go through them, uh, which you can use as just a bit of a, a check or, or so to see um, what I'm busy with. If it's, for instance, on the front page of the sun, would you be happy with it? If it's on the front page or on the third page of the sun, would you also be happy with it? That's probably a different story. Okay, so the first, first test, the golden rule test, what uh, would, I, would I want people to do this to me? So that's one of them. That's a, a nice one to, to actually ask the truth test. I'm not going to go through all of them. But just get a nice test that, that, that you like to use if you're faced with a difficult situation. The one that, that, that I recommend to people to use is the, the front page test. Um, so if you decide what you're busy with, if everybody in the country can see it on the front page, would you still be happy uh, doing that? Okay. Um, and then additional, an additional test is obviously just in, in terms of the ESSA code. So what does our ESSA code actually says about the specific action? And even if you're done with that test and you're still not sure, like I said earlier, uh, you can reach out to, to your peers or to, to the office. 
Okay, so we're in uh, the next slide will be the, the, the case study that we'll, be, um, that we'll be looking at. So the case study, like I said, it's a, a case study that, that the IFA uh, has kindly agreed for us to use in our sessions. So uh, it's about Paul. He's supposedly an actuary. He looks more like a bouncer, but uh, he's an actuary in his late 40s, and he's, in a, he's, a, he's a rising star in his company, and he's now a senior manager of the team, and he's worried about um, the capital modeling um, in, in, in the firm, and you'll see he's been talking to his wife a bit and then, then to his friend. So um, you can just uh, start that video, and then we'll, we'll have a few questions. Well, okay, it's on its way then. We're not Chinese again. We're having pizza, Daddy. Oh, great. Gluten-free pizza. Great. Okay, Grumpy, what's up? You stressed? Step into my office, take a seat. Talk to me, my love. You hate it when I tell you about actuary stuff. You say it's boring. No, I don't. Oh, Paul, my darling husband, you look like you need to vent. And as your devoted wife, it is my job to make you feel better. Besides, pizza won't be here for ten minutes, so I've got time to kill. You asked for it. I sure did. Now, don't leave anything out. I love a bit of actuarial gibberish on a Friday night. Well, do you remember that um, senior management meeting I went to in France last month? Uh, how could I forget? You've only just stopped complaining about the trains being late. Yeah, well, I just found out that the MD flew there by corporate jet to deliver a speech on cost control. Perks of being the boss, I suppose. Yeah, well, it annoyed me. And that's it? No, you've been grouchy all week, Paul. There's more to it than that. Start from the beginning. Let's talk it through. As part of this senior management scheme I'm on, I spent three years in secondments in different areas of the business. That finished last month, and I returned to where I thought I was happiest, the capital modelling team. I'm senior manager of that team. Okay. I mean, I know all this, Paul. Well, you said start from the beginning. Well, yes, but I don't want to die of boredom before we get to the bit where I can actually help. Well, anyway, it's not what I, I thought it would be, you know. The whole approach to capital modelling has changed in the last three years. It's like a foreign language. You know, it's so complex, layers within layers. Uh, tell the truth, I just feel stupid. Well, saying stuff like that is stupid. You're the second cleverest person I know. Well, who's the cleverest? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, look, sometimes I ask my team for model documentation to try to get to grips with what's going on. And it's either too generic or it's written in such meticulous technical jargon that I just get lost and no one else seems to worry at how the whole thing works. They just get on with it. Well, I can understand that. I mean, when you drive a car, you just drive it. You don't need to know how the engine is built, do you? No, that's just it. I think I should be able to tell you how an engine is built, even in simple terms. I'm worried because in the last three years that I've been away, the volume of business has grown by 80%, but the capital requirements have only edged up by 10%. So you know what that means, don't you? Not even a little bit. Well, it means that this new complex modelling is delivering much lower capital per volume of business than the previous simpler version. 
And I don't know what assumption or methodology is driving this relative reduction, but I do know that we might cross the line to what is reasonable and what is not reasonable. Okay, so now I'm confused. I mean, isn't lower capital a good thing for the company? Well, yeah, in principle, everyone's happy and it looks great to the shareholders. I spoke to my boss about it and he seems pretty relaxed about the whole thing. And he said this new, more sophisticated modelling gives us a greater understanding of the sub-risks. And hey, presto, through the magic of diversification, the result in capital is lower. I forgot to order garlic bread. Oh, I've lost you. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm still with you, honest. Don't... Uh, look, this new, sparkly, complicated modelling thing, I mean, is everyone else happy with it? Well, yeah, it's been signed off by everyone, auditors, risk committee, the board, even the regulators didn't ask many questions. You know, my boss is happy and he said that I should be happy too and we've got more important things to worry about. Well, if your boss is happy, then there's not much you can do, my love. I mean, you don't want to go against him, do you? Didn't he say that you managing this capital modelling team was a bit of a springboard for future promotion? Yeah, he did, but it doesn't mean I should ignore my gut, does it? You know, the company is looking impressively solid and we're growing strongly and meeting our ambitious and aggressive targets. The shareholders are pleased. Everyone is looking good for pay rises. My end of year is coming up soon and I seem to be the only person who is not happy with this capital modelling. Everybody else, including a lot of very experienced and very intelligent actuaries, are happy with it. Is it worth getting this worked up about it? Yeah, but we're dealing with something that I can't properly explain. If certain events conspire against us, we could find ourselves unable to respond. We could even run out of money. Even worse than that, we could be heading for a complete disaster and no one else seems to notice. I don't know what to do. Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> You know, you were an actuary for what, 25 years? 27 years. Retired in your 50s, rainy days playing golf, <laughs> <laughs> drinking in the afternoon. You're living the dream, mate. Well, hard work will get you there, mate. Hey, what's the latest on that capital modelling issue? The last time we spoke, you were going to talk to your boss about it again. Yeah, I did. I had to. I just wasn't happy, you know. And how'd it go? Amicable enough. You know, Stuart's a nice guy and we get on well, but... He was pretty clear about me not going on some lone crusade to pick apart something that's already been signed off. He wants me to concentrate on the firm's strategic plans. So you're just going to drop it? It's not like you. I don't think I can drop it, you know. I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the old thing. I just don't know what to do. I'm wary of raising the issue formally or through the firm's whistleblowing procedure, you know. It, it could be career suicide. What would you do? It's a tough one, mate. I don't really have enough information to be sure, but it might be worth having a chat with the profession support service. You reckon? How does that all work? Oh, I don't really know the ins and outs. Never used them myself, but well, I've heard good things, and it's free. Free. <laughs> That's my favourite word. Yeah, I've noticed. Yeah. So what is it? Two blokes sat behind a desk or something? No, it's like a panel of experienced actuaries, and you tell them the problem, they give you advice. I'm sure there's more to it than that, but you get the gist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Experienced actuaries, are you one of them? <laughs> You're kidding, aren't you? I'm too busy playing golf. 
Yeah. Um, is all this synonymous? Yeah. I'm sure they could help you. Depends on the issue, I suppose. I don't know, mate. Someone might find out. It's your call, Paul. It's not for everyone. Yeah, why don't you ever think about it? While you're at the bar. Okay, so uh, please pick up your remotes. Should Paul continue to ask questions or uh, should he just let it go, let it slide? Don't you understand the question? Oh, the one on the capital modeling. Oh, oh you want to know, should he drop it or not? Okay, the first one is, should he drop it? Yes. Or should he not drop it? No. Should he just leave? If, if, you, if you think you should leave it, click yes. If you think you shouldn't leave it, oh, if you. <laughs> Sorry, otherwise. You know what I'm getting at? <laughs> Not. Should, should you drop it? Okay, that's easier. Sorry? Eighty-four people already voted. I think we're ninety. <laughs> it just shows that professionalism and communication is very important. Okay, can we run a revote? Re okay, so if you think. You shouldn't ask any more questions. Click yes. Thanks, technical team at the back. English is my second language. Okay. Now we don't have a split vote anymore. <laughs> you change your minds very quickly. Yes. Come on, boys. Okay. Okay, so um, I think we're pretty clear on that one. So you heard Paul saying that uh, things have changed quite a lot in the three years. Do you think he's still technically able to do his job? Okay. I think there is an interesting result. More of a split vote. Okay. Thanks on the questions. I think from... Um, let's open to the floor now. Okay. I think we can... We've asked that one. Okay, I think the interesting discussions and comments and so on will come from the floor. Um, so, uh, what ethical and professional issues arise in this instance? Any specific comments that anyone has about the situation? I think the 93% of us said that, um, that you should continue asking those questions. But obviously, in reality, if promotions and increases and bonuses on the line, it might be a bit more difficult. Um, any, anyone just care to share a few ideas or have been in a similar situation or had a friend in a similar situation? <laughs> Not? You want to go home? 
<laughs> Seems like it. No, I think um, uh, obviously uh, if you look at, at these type of situations coldly, um, it's easy to make a, uh, make a decision. Quite recently I, I had a discussion with someone um, working in, in more or less our space, coming to me with a similar type of situation about a, a product that they're not comfortable with um, and also these type of these type of issues coming um, coming to the fore, and I, I think if you if you in a in an advisory capacity um, within a business that also offers products, I think these type of issues come up uh, quite frequently. But I don't have any comments. There was any gear? Run all of you. People want to go home. <laughs> um, Niels, you said that if they, if we have any questions, we can call the, we can call ASA. But would ASA provide advice or suggestions? Because what if I'm in a position where I need to have a, a rule to say I do this or I can't do that? Let's say the client forces me to do something, but I need a reason to not do it. Would ASA give advice? Or basically a rule, set down a rule? Uh, it, it depends on the, on the situation. Uh, I think if it's, if it's clear cut, then um, we will be able to provide. And in, in some cases, I'm just thinking back of, of actual cases, we have actually given quite clear advice or guidance to people. But sometimes I think it's, it's not a, a black and white issues. And then we'll we'll uh, provide things for people to consider and then we'll also throw it a bit wider. So for instance, if it's in the, in the retirement space, uh, we'll also discuss it with people in the retirement matters committee and take it a bit wider and to get other opinions and so on. So I think a lot of times, if regardless of the outcome, if you actually show that you followed a process, you uh, consulted with other people, you got different views, then you'd be much better off even if the outcome at the end isn't desirable. If you showed you, you followed the process. So I think actually having the process, having a doc, document, documented email trail or whatever, uh, um, it will, will assist you a lot. So Arthur? Hello, Arthur. Just, I'm involved here with the IAA uh, drafting is ISAP's International Standards Actuarial Practice. We just finished two and they had to do with ERM modeling. But the principles are very relevant in this one. Each one of those cases, when you do a model, and if you're involved with a model, you need to understand the drivers of the results. So in fact, you have to break down the result and then do sensitivity testing about change it, I change it, the results are so if you take as ISAPs the principles, this chap's doing the right thing by saying I don't understand it. I cannot accept a black box model. And I must say, if I was his boss, I'd much rather have somebody working for me who questioned it and understood the results than just accepted the black box. Thanks, Arthur. Any further comments, questions?
Okay, how do you think Paul uh, can find out if he's a bit out of his depth? Uh, what can he do to find out a bit more about the model or, uh, or the technical aspects of his work that he's not comfortable with? Anyone? There at the back? Willem? <laughs> you don't ask those type of questions. Um, I think the obvious thing, obviously read, read, read about it. Um, usually there's guidance on these type of things. Um, reach out to the technical area in, in, in the companies and so on. Um, Obviously, we, we want to be challenged and we want to learn new things. Um, but like the code says, if you're not comfortable with a piece of work, uh, talk to someone in your company. If you can't find someone in your company, talk to one of your peers who can actually take you through it and who can work through you on the, on the specific piece of work. John? Yeah, uh, um, I just wanted to add to that. It, you know, he's in charge of a department. So he has the ability as the manager to ask for more things, put things in place, and it's his job. You know, ask his team. So I don't know if he's just embarrassed, um, but he's, he's in charge. So he can insist that the documentation that was too generic, that they redo it um, because the guys work for him. So, you know, he first has to do all the basics from his side. You know, have a session, they go through it, look at examples. Uh, it can even be, you know, teach the rest of the team uh, for skills, transfer, knowledge. So even if he's embarrassed, he doesn't have to say it. He says it's for the purpose of. Um, you have know, you been are... in a situation like that, it seems, John? <laughs> I have. <laughs> no, but the thing is, use the power of all the individuals that you've got in the organization. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that will help uh, do various things. And then also, he's in charge of a department. Surely he has, in charge of a budget, he has ability to then get a quick external opinion of some sort, high level. But he hasn't asked the basics. So the basics are, why is the capital going lower? What gives us this edge? That needs to be well documented in the risk framework. You know, if a company like that would have a governance committee looking at things, and when they decided on moving to the new smart model, they would have had to document, ask for those, ask for that. If it isn't documented, say the work must be done to get it documented so that all of those things get surfaced. So to me, he hasn't exhausted all of the things, and he should do more in his job to, to do that before he then goes the professional route, to be quite honest. So he hasn't been a great manager, in my view. Thanks, John. Marius? Neil, if I could just add to what uh, was said now. I mean, in SAM, and I think in the ISAB, says it's clearly required with documentation. Now, if, if a person who designs a model doesn't document, he is actually quite negligent. It has to be properly documented. And, of course, a regulator won't approve it if it's not properly documented. Thanks, Marius. Any further questions or comments? Huh? I see we... Uh, okay, I think this is the final question. How could Paul assure himself that the model um, is robust? I think that gets to your question and you basically um, gave us the, the, the answers to those questions as well, uh, John. The other things that he could have done, getting a second opinion and so forth. Um, 
I think we covered that one through those, uh, that other question. Okay, um, so just some general principles uh, from 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 the uh, the code of conduct that that's relevant to include here is um, obviously members uh, and, and actuaries um, will have different opinions. I always say if you've got two actuaries in the room, you'll have three opinions. Um, but there's there's ways and uh, that you can um, actually dis discuss things with people. I think um, uh, in the past where I've had a difference in opinion with another actually, I think a lot of times over the phone or over email, um, uh, the wrong emotions might actually come out. So I think a lot of times it's better just to meet someone in person and, and, and discuss it with them. Um, then the other thing which we highlighted is um, if you're not sure... Talk to other professionals within your organization. Um, you can also reach out uh, to, the, to the profession and um, then we can, we can uh, provide further, further guidance on the, on the route to follow. Um, and then I think uh, the final point to note is that if, if you see something that you're not comfortable with, uh, then it's actually your duty uh, under the code of conduct to speak up. So um, if, if, if it actually later comes out that you were aware of it um, and you didn't speak out, um, there can actually be, be disciplinary action against you. So I think um, yeah, that's the, the duty that's placed on us uh, by the code of conduct. Then we're not going to discuss that one. We're out of time. Uh, so just like the final... The final question, um, so what thoughts or insights did you have today about ethics and professionalism that you're happy to share and assist uh, the rest of us? Any, any further insights or views that anybody want to, to share that came from the case study or, or the discussions or the comments that anybody, anybody made? Natasha? Nothing. Okay. Good. So I think that's um, that's 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 uh, where we we basically started. Um, professionalism is is uh, what ca ca characterizes our profession. What uh, Costa also uh, opened up today with, and uh, the code of conduct is our main professionalism document. And um, yeah, luckily I see most of you've read it. Uh, but if you if you find yourself in a difficult situation, refer to the code of conduct, and and if you're still not sure, come and speak to us. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you, Neil, and thank you very much for your professional presentation.